0: You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Hey, I'm excited today because we're going to unpack a, a, a lie of the enemy that um, he's been trying to discourage people with for years. It's, it's a very powerful lie that keeps people from knowing Christ, and it's also a very powerful lie that keeps Christians from living in victory. Today, We're going to talk about the lie, the big lie that some things cannot be forgiven. And uh, we have been uh, kind of unpacking some of these strategies of the enemy. And I tell you, um, there is a, 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 as real as God is real, there is an enemy who's a deceiver, a liar. And he's called an accuser of the brethren. He is out to destroy, to kill, steal, and destroy you. And so we are unpacking some of his lies over the next uh, several weeks. And, uh, you know, there's a perception of Satan. Uh, this perception of Satan is that he's got, uh, uh, he's dressed in a red suit, and he's got a long pointy tail, and he carries this pitchfork around where he pokes people. Uh, and if they don't have that perception, then, then people have this perception of the devil, that he's some scary, uh, beastly kind of, uh, you know, kind of gruesome-looking character. Some people have this idea that he's on some throne in hell and that he is uh, Lord over hell and he's Lord of the darkness. And, you know, there's these perceptions of fear and anxiety that even Christians believe about the enemy, while the biblical description is nothing like any of those things. The biblical description is, is instead the Bible describes uh, the fallen one Satan, we know him now as Satan the serpent. He's called the devil. Uh, he is described in the Bible as someone who is very beautiful, someone who comes in oftentimes in righteousness, who comes in the appearance of good, who comes as an angel of light, who is uh, someone who is a, a beauty, but he's also filled with deception, and he has very limited powers. He is not to be taken lightly, and he is not to be terrified, uh, he is, is very limited in what he can do, but he's incredibly, incredibly deceptive. And so what we're doing today and over the next few weeks is we're unpacking and we're kind of exposing the lies of the enemy. Next week, you're not going to want to miss because next week I'm going to be talking about the lie that all roads lead to heaven. And we're also going to talk about in that the lie uh, that some people believe about the afterlife when it comes to hell. So don't miss next week. Bring someone to questions about the afterlife. Maybe you do. Um, we're going to unpack that next week, the lies. Today, we're going to talk about the big lie of the F word. And uh, I'm talking about the word forgiveness. And uh, things, some things cannot be like <laughs> Pastor's getting serious today. Uh, talking about forgiveness. Uh, there's two parts to this. Things that have been done to us and things that we have done. And uh, today we're going to look at how we view these things and how they affect us deeply. Today there's going to be a lot of passages, a lot of times out like camp out on one story. And then just kind of will unpack the story because forgiveness is a, is a significant theme throughout the entire uh, Bible. We're going to be flying over a bunch of, of scriptures and we're going to be looking at quite a few scriptures it's the greatest theme in the Bible, so we're going to be jumping around a lot today and looking at some different verses dealing with this. There are three big major lies when it comes to forgiveness, and these are the three big lies. The first one is is that some things God just can't forgive. Some of us think they're either too big or they're too bad. And we just think, you know, that that's just one of those areas that's just too horrible. That's just too horrific. There's, that's, just, that's just horrible. You know that some of you you usually throw that on somebody else. You know, or, or you might have this perception of yourself that you've gone too far or done too much. Another lie that we believe is that some things uh, we can't forgive. Some people they think, well, there's just no way I can forgive that one. <laughs> there's, this, you know, that cuts too deep. That hurt too much. Uh, and you know what? You're absolutely right according to your definition of forgiveness so one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to look at what the bible says is forgiveness and when you think of forgiveness you're right in your definition you can't forgive you can't but we're going to look at the bible's definition of forgiveness you're going to find that you can and then a third big lie that we believe is that sometimes we have to fight fire with fire sometimes we just have to pay back baby revenge you know you know we that was all messed up wasn't it it was a was that a gun? Was that a rifle? I don't know. Um, it was both. It was a guyful. You know, a lot of times we think, man, we love these payback movies, right? We love, we love those revenge movies. You know, there's uh, the, that new Keanu Reeves movie. It's, walk right out. You see it right there. It's a familiar theme. I've left the bad life, but you sucked me back in because you hurt my family, and there's going to be hell to pay, right? So there's like there's a sense that's coming at you. Because you've unleashed the beast, because sometimes you just have to fight fire with fire. Well, that is a lie. That is not a theme in the Bible. That is not something we need to accept. Uh, The the lie that sometimes you just have to pay back because they deserve it. Well, that's a lie. We're going to unpack those three big lies about unforgiveness. So let's first take a look at the truth about God's forgiveness. Let's take a look at that first lie. And that is that some things God can't forgive. So let's take a look at the truth about God's forgiveness. First thing you want to know, first thing I want you to know is number one, is that Satan is the great accuser. He is the great accuser. When you hear that voice, that you've gone too far or they have gone too far or that's too many times or this is too big or remember the enemy, you want to remember the enemy is the accuser or the one who condemns. Let's take a look at this. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, at the triumphant return of Christ Jesus, the angels are declaring the glory of Jesus. And this is what it says in verse 10. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers. That means the accuser of all the believers. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. You see, there is an accuser. There is one who condemns there is one who day and night likes to whisper in our ears how horrible we are, and especially those of us who have bowed the knee to Christ and we've we've laid our sin at the cross of Christ. The enemy loves to come to us and cast doubt on God's grace in our life. In Job, we have that story where uh, Job, man, he's loving Jesus, uh, loving God, serving Jesus is before. Um, Jesus came. He was looking forward to the Messiah though. He talks about Jesus in the book of Job and he is, uh, he's a good man. And the devil, he goes before God and he says, you know what, that Job guy, he only loves you because, uh, you like to bless him because you bless him and his life is good. If you were to take everything away from him, he would curse you. God says, no, he wouldn't. Cause I know his heart. I know he would not do that. And Satan says, well, let me Attack him. Let me accuse him. Let me condemn him. Let me mess up his life and we'll see how long he stands. God gives the enemy permission to tear Job's life apart. And Job stands strong. Job becomes someone who's rewarded greatly for his faith during that time. But this is a picture of the enemy who likes to try before the throne of God, to condemn us, to accuse us, day and night, condemning the enemy, uh, condemning the believer, telling us that we can't be forgiven. And if you buy into that lie, you are buying into the lie of the enemy, the accuser. Every time we accuse ourselves or condemn ourselves, if we are a Christian, we are buying the lie of the enemy. Every time you accuse and condemn another person, you're working under the influence of the enemy himself. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment, no accusation can be cast upon those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have said yes to Christ, you cannot be condemned or accused or they're not, there cannot be an accusation made against you in your life because you are in Christ Jesus. When God looks at you, he doesn't look at your sin. He doesn't look at the things you've done, no matter how horrible they might be. He looks at you and he sees Jesus. There is no condemnation. There is no accusation against those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of times what we do is we confuse the difference between conviction and condemnation. Real quickly, you can write this down. The difference between condemnation and conviction is conviction draws you while condemnation repels you. Let me explain. uh, Conviction draws you to God because the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. When you've done something wrong, if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit takes residence up inside of your life, when He makes your uh, body His home, when, when you do something wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts you. And you know it's the Holy Spirit because it causes you to want to talk to God about it. It draws you to God, and it draws you to repentance. It draws you to to seek a change in your life. It's conviction. It draws you. It identifies sin in your life and draws you to God. But can but condemnation is the enemy going? You're worthless. Uh, you've gone too far. You've done too much. This was the last straw and can, condemnation repels you against God because it makes you want to run from God. God doesn't love me anymore. God won't forgive me this time. This I've gone too far. This is too evil. This is too ugly. I've asked too many times. That's condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When you hear that voice that says God has done with you, if you're a believer, that's a lie from the enemy. And if you are a Christian, that voice of conviction that says run to him because you need him, that is the Holy Spirit. But the accuser will chase you from God. He'll try. I want you to write this down. This is another thing I want you to know is that only one sin is unforgivable. And, we don't, and it is even debated on whether this sin even exists anymore today. Let me explain. There's a lot of people who are fearful that they have done this, the unpardonable or the unforgivable sin. There's one sin that the Bible mentions that cannot be forgiven. Let's take a look at the story. It's in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is talking to some Pharisees. And I want you to realize Jesus just gave sight back to a blind man. He just healed people, man. Jesus is bringing people back to life. He's healing the sick. He's doing miracles. And these religious leaders, these hypocrites, these pastors of that day, who were corrupt in many, uh, many ways, uh, they began to accuse Jesus as being someone who is filled with the devil. In fact, they even said that Jesus is doing miracles in the name of Beelzebub or in the name of the devil. And I want you to realize uh, they were so far and detached from the Holy Spirit's work in their life that they couldn't even identify not just God on earth, but the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of other people. Now, Jesus, knowing their heart that they began to accuse him of being demon-possessed, said this, Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. No matter what sin, no matter what evil, it can be forgiven, except for this one. It says, And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. He said, man, this is an eternal issue. This is an eternal deal. Now, what was he saying? I want you to realize that this unforgivable sin, that they were, that they were it, it, I don't think it was their actions that was the unforgivable sin. I think it was their heart that was the unforgivable sin. Because their actions, just like our actions, are a symptom of a deeper rooted issue. Every time you do something you shouldn't be doing, that is an outward symptom of something that's sick inside of you that you're meeting a need with. And here are these guys. Jesus isn't about the symptoms. He's about the root. He's about what's going on in the heart. And what their heart was is their heart was so hard against God that the Holy Spirit was done when they began to attribute in their heart that the things of God and the, the things that Jesus himself, God on the earth, was doing were, were instruments of the devil, they were so far, in by attributing the Holy Spirit as demons, work of demons, that their heart was so hard that the Holy Spirit was done with them. Now, the Bible says no one can come to the Father unless... They're drawn and accept by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something: when you offend the Holy Spirit, <laughs> woe unto you! Because without the Holy Spirit, you can't know God. You can't even want to know God. Some of you are like, "Well, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid." You know, I've talked to guys who are Satanists, who are pagans, and who were involved in witchcraft, and they've, they've, they've. You know, I blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. And they've, they've, they've told me they've said all these things and they're worried that they've actually done this. And they're afraid that they've, they've, that they've counted themselves out against God. And I've said, you know, the fact that you want to know God is testimony that you haven't done it. Because that desire that you have to want to know God, that anxiety, that conviction, that fear that you have been separated from God is the Holy Spirit saying, I want you. So if you're in this room and you think that maybe you have gone too far and committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. If you're worried about it, you haven't, because that's the sign that the Holy Spirit wants to work In your life, and some people, some scholars, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but some people feel that the unforgivable sin isn't even possible anymore, because they were saying it was a testimony that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and that his uh, miracles, the miraculous that he did through the Holy Spirit, uh, that that hardness of their heart was an evidence of what Jesus was doing on the earth, and Jesus hasn't been walking into this room, you know, in the flesh. Uh, he won't we won't see him again until he returns physically as he came the first time he will come again But some people say that that's attributed only to those that were standing in The face of jesus and attributing his works to the devil. But I don't know the point is is if you are afraid of this you haven't done it Okay, so if there's only one thing that we could think about that would be it But even that is it's questionable. Here's the third thing I want you to know is that god loves to take and to turn his enemies into friends and family. This is something we need to, this is the theme of the entire Bible. The theme of the entire Bible is God likes to take and turn enemies into friends and family. I want you to think about uh, an enemy real quick. I want you to think about somebody that you don't like. Someone who makes you just cringe. The thought of them is like, I'm done with them. Or I want you to think about someone who's like maybe the most evil person you can think of. Maybe, maybe it's some uh, public figure or uh, maybe a politician or a businessman or a musician or someone who you like, the, the guy who's the founder, Anton LaVey, the Church of Satan, you know, or, or some local pagan. I want you to think of the most evil person that you might think is an enemy of God right now. Think about them. You know what God desires? That they would become his friend and his family. Because that's the theme of the Bible. That is the theme of the cross. See, understand this, that the heart of, what, at the heart of God's word is a relationship that is, what I'll say, is vertical. See, when it comes to forgiveness, we need to understand that grace and forgiveness is an issue between us and God, first of all. All right? The truth about the gospel, the truth about the grace of God is that it is about God coming to us because we can't ever get to him. You can't climb a ladder to heaven. You, there's no stairway to heaven, despite what the song might say. There is no way, no effort, no attempts on your part that will ever get you to the place where you can reach God. So God came to us and our response is a worship, a response of yes, God. It's a vertical response. And when we think about this, I want you to realize that this is the heart and passion of God to take the worst of the worst and to make them family. That is God's MO. That is how he lives. Some don't like this, uh, because there are people that you want to go to hell. There are people that you despise that have hurt you or that are in the public that, that you dislike so much that you think the only thing they deserve Is hell. And you're absolutely right. They deserve it. And so do you. So do you. But God came to us. God came to us. And he likes to take the worst of the worst, even people just like you. And I'm glad because he accepted me. And you're like, well, I'm glad he accepted me, but don't accept them, God. Well, you have bought into the lie. You bought into the lie of the enemy. Listen to this verse in Romans 5 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, when we were enemies, when we were the worst, the worst, when we were evil, when we were wicked, while we were still wicked and sinners and guilty, Christ died for us. He came to us. Verse 10 says, While we were God's enemies, we were brought back to him through the death of his son. Jesus says, You're not better than anyone. Don't forget, he says, I died for you when you were my enemy. Some of you might think, well, there are just some things that cannot be forgiven. There's just too many horrible things that these people have done. Well, you're not better than them. You're not better than them. When you were an enemy, when you were in your heart, had nothing and wanted nothing to do with him. God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still enemies, when we were sinners, when we hated him, when we despised him, when we mocked him, when in our heart, we knew we would run. He died for us. He died for you. He came to us. Ezekiel 3, 11 says this, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Some of you are like, man, I just, you know, I know God's, man, he's going to come with fire and he's going to be laughing. <laughs> Ah, and he's gonna be what? No, listen to the heart of God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that wicked turn from his way, and live. The heart of God is to forgive. There is a real heaven, and there is a real hell, but God wants grace to prevail. This is the heart of God. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, if. Yet, if if I say if, yet, if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has taken by robbery and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live and shall not die. This is also known as repentance it's a turning from ourselves and turning to God it's a re, it's a turning from our ways and turning to God's ways it's a change of mind which leads to a change of direction this is called repentance he says if they turn verse 16 none of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him he has done what is just and right and he shall surely live. You see, the truth of God is this, is that God forgives all things, even the most wicked of the wicked, because he came to us. See, this is where we need to understand forgiveness first. Forgiveness is first in us and God deal. Why did God pick Paul? like, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but a guy in the New Testament, his name is Paul, he used to be called Saul, he wrote a third of the New Testament. The majority of the New Testament, he wrote himself. Now, why would God pick a guy like Paul? Is it because he was so awesome? Is it because he was great? Is it because he had some special skills? He was a great speaker? Is it because he was both Greek and Jewish? Why did God pick Paul to be his voice to us 2,000 years? The majority of what we learn about Jesus is written on the life, and by Paul. Why did God pick Paul? Was he, well, there was a reason why God picked him. I want you to listen to This is something he wrote to his friend, Timothy. Paul is the writer of the book of Timothy. Listen to what he says to his friend in chapter one. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost Some translations say, I'm the chief, or I'm the worst of the worst. He says, man, when you think of sinners, I am the worst of them all. My pride, my arrogance pushed me to so much evil that I saw pleasure in taking the life of other people. He was a murderer. Verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. He says, God chose me because I was such a great sinner. God chose me because of my great sin so that I could be an example that God can forgive anyone. He said, you want to know why God chose Paul? Because Paul was a horrible person. His heart was so malicious, so wicked. Though he seemed to do everything right on the outside, his heart was wicked to the point that he was taking people's lives and finding pleasure in it. God says, I'm going to pick you because I'm going to show the world that I can make anybody the hardest, the greatest cynic, the, the, those that think that they're so proud that they can do and destroy anybody. I want to take the worst of the worst to show my example that I can love anyone, that I can change anyone. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 through 13, you'll see this in your small groups this week, is that Jesus said, I didn't come for the well, I came for the sick. He says, I didn't come for those that think they have it all together. I came for the worst of the worst. I came for those that are sick in their heart, that are sick in their spirit. He says, I came. It's a vertical forgiveness. To understand forgiveness, we need to realize that God came and he loves to turn the worst of the worst and the wicked into friends and family. He loves. Don't buy the lie that that too much sin will keep you from God or that God has counted you off. Nothing is beyond the reach of his grace. You might think, but what they did is horrible. What they did to that child was horrible. What they did to their spouse was horrible. That person, that hurt, that pain, those wounds. Nothing is beyond the power and the reach of God's grace. Nothing is beyond that vertical reach of God to us. Maybe you know this firsthand. Maybe you know this because you are one of those that have committed some of the worst of the worst statistically, it's probably very likely that in this room there are abusers, people that have abused anything from drugs to people. Statistically, there's probably those in this room that have been abused, that have been assaulted, that have been attacked. And there are those in this room that have probably been the attacker, have been the abuser. There is nothing beyond the reach of God's grace. His arms are long enough to go down to us. Now, here's the truth about forgiving others, because the big question is, I don't know if I can forgive somebody. Like, I don't know if I want to spend heaven with the person who assaulted me. I don't know if I want to spend heaven with the person who took my innocence. I don't know if that's even possible. Let's talk about the truth about forgiving others. And the first thing I want you to know is this, is that forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is not an option. It is a requirement. This is a tough one to swallow, This is not a Christian upgrade. This is not the Christian gold package. When it comes to forgiveness, this is not something you're working towards. It's a commandment. This is a requirement. Well, you don't understand how bad, how evil, how horrible. Oh, I understand. I I understand. I was assaulted. I was abused as a child. I don't know if you guys know this. I was abused as a child. I've told you this, some of you this story before. Some of the things I was made to do as a child were terrible, physically, mentally, emotionally abused. I want to tell you something. Nothing is beyond the reach of God's grace, even for those that have hurt you. This is not something that you should be working toward. This is something that is required of you. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Well, God is working on this with me. You might say, well, if he is working on you and you let him lead, then you will have forgiven and you will forgive. If not, you are in complete disobedience to God if you have unforgiveness in your heart. This is one of those really, really hard things to talk about because I'm often talking to a victim who's being asked to release the victimizer, the person who's hurt them so deeply and so so painfully. When they're being told that they're being disobedient for holding on to this pain, then I'm, I'm telling you, this is not an option. This is not. This is, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to you through the words of Jesus. So let's look at this. And in, in, in the Bible, it says this in Matthew 6. Uh, this is part of the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you've heard the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a part where it says this in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors or forgive those that have sinned against us as you've forgiven our sin. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, that's the end of the Lord's Prayer, but just so that Jesus knows what he's talking about, he goes on and he talks some more about this whole forgiveness thing. He says this, he follows up with this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, everybody say but, there's always a big but involved. He says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You don't see that on a mug very often, do you? You don't see Christian t-shirts saying that. You won't see that on a cat poster. Hang on and forgive or you will not be forgiven. If you forgive, I'll forgive. If you don't forgive, I won't forgive. The enemy will lie to you and say that it's okay because you were hurt so badly If you don't forgive that person, that is a lie from the enemy. And if you buy into this lie, you will be living in a place where you will not be forgiven. This is, we can't manipulate Jesus's words to mean any other thing than what he said. In fact, he said it multiple times throughout the scripture. If you forgive, I will forgive in fact he has a story in Matthew 18 verse 21 to 35 where he has this this servant who goes to his king who has a large debt and the king forgives him. And then he goes and he sees this other servant of his a friend and he owes him a little bit of debt and he does not forgive him of that debt. And instead this this servant abuses and accuses and and condemns and turns his 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 friend's servant into a a a an object of example where he does not give grace. When the master, the king, hears this story, he brings that servant who he forgave everything of, he brings him back in the story, he gives him back his debt and throws him into prison. Okay? Now, we could we could debate whether he's talking about a Christian losing your salvation or hell or whatever. I don't know you know we could go into that that's not what I want to talk about today I want you to know this God takes your lack of forgiveness very very seriously if he gave everything he had for you I want you to realize this some of us we think well I can't forgive I can't forgive because they're they're a liar they're deceitful they're you know what uh, Jesus gave this story in, in Matthew 7 he says we're so worried. We're so worried about everybody. We're, we like to condemn and accuse other people. When we do that, we're working under the influence of the lie of the enemy, who's the great accuser. We like to condemn and accuse other people and say they're unworthy of God's grace. This horizontal relationship with others is all messed up because we buy the lie. And, and we look at others and we're like, we're so worried about their specs, their issues, their problems in their, in their life. And Jesus says, hey, open up, man. You got a log in your eye, buddy. He says, man, you are so worried about their speck and you got a log in your eye and you're walking around like this. Man, that person, man, they're unforgivable. They're horrible. That's an ugly person in their si- inside because they're so mean and, and hateful. And, you know, just like, hey, open your eye because you can't see because you've got a, lo- a log in the other one. He says, he says, open up, man, you got a log in your eye. Who do you think you are? Our lack of being able to horizontally forgive even though we've been vertically forgiven, causes us to be incredible, incredible hypocrites. Jesus says, take a look at the plank in your eye. And I want you to write this down as if forgiveness starts with a look in the mirror. He says in that passage, he says, you will be forgiven in the way that you forgive. Take a good look in the mirror. How do you forgive? Take a good, grace and forgiveness, forgiveness, can begin with a look in the mirror. Look at this verse 13 of chapter three of Colossians says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. As the Lord has vertically forgiven you, you can now horizontally forgive others. He says, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Romans five and six says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That means the guilty. And just at the right time, he died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. He says, but we're not that good person. We are all guilty. We're godless. We're, 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 we're wicked in our hearts. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That even though we're guilty, even though we're, we're sinful, even though we're arrogant, even though we think we're better than other people, While we were still sinners, enemies and haters of God, he died. Christ died for us. You see, it is possible to forgive the unforgivable when you realize you are the unforgivable. It is possible to to get this. I think it's enormously significant that the first words repeated by Christ or spoken by Christ on the cross on that day that he was crucified. As they were driving those nails into his hands, into his feet, he looked at his accusers and he said he looked at his abusers he looked at those who were vile and violent and hurting him painful murdering him he said father forgive them for they know not what they do and now that we have been able to see and acknowledge that we are the unforgivable we are the ones that drove the nails we are the ones that, that pulled up the cross and stuck it in That We are the ones that dragged him through the streets bearing the cross of our sin. And maybe you have never done the things that you think are so vile. Or maybe you have. But some of you, you think, well, I've never done anything like that. And God wouldn't have anything to do with them. No, you're wrong. Because you are that vile, unforgivable person that while you were an enemy, God still died for you. He vertically came so that we could horizontally forgive. In that we are told that Jesus came to establish forgiveness when he cried those words. He is at the heart, a man of grace. He came to establish a people who would be an oasis of forgiveness in a world filled with revenge. Think about this. This world is a world not looking for justice, but looking for revenge. But on the cross, he didn't call out revenge. He didn't call out a legion of of angels to come down and to wipe out his accusers and his condemners. No, instead he said, Father, forgive. So that we might be instruments of grace in a world filled with revenge and hatred and payback. It is possible to forgive the unforgivable by remembering that Jesus forgave us when we were Unforgivable. Write this down. This is the next thing about forgiving others is that to forgive, we need to know what forgiveness is. So what I want to do is I want to take a minute to talk to you about biblical forgiveness. Because some of you, you can't forgive because you have a terrible view of forgiveness. I want to give you a biblical view of forgiveness and give you a chance to respond with forgiveness today is a, a couple of things you need to know about what forgiveness is not. You can write these down if you want, but forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness is not about pretending that it didn't happen. Forgiveness is not trying to, to go on as if that person never hurt you or never did anything to you. A lot of times we think forgive, forgive and forget, right? That's, I mean, they go together, right? A lot of us, you think, well, I can never forgive them because I can never forget. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Sometimes we think that's what it means because we misuse the Bible. In fact, we read that verse in Jeremiah earlier where he says he remembers their sin no more. Hebrews 8, 12 says, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more, quoting Isaiah and Jeremiah. And a lot of times we think, well, that means that, that if we're going to forgive, we need to be like God and, and, and we just need to forget. And, and that if we remember our own sin, God's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So what? Guys, listen, God knows all things. God knows you can't know more than God. All right. So when the Bible says that he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, that means it's foreverly, it's forever moving away from him. And when he says he casts into the sea of forgetfulness so that he remembers them so no more, That literally means he does not count them against us anymore. He does not accuse us of those anymore. He does not condemn us anymore. It's a word in the New Testament called justification. That He says he stamps, it's just as if you never did it. He knows it happened. He remembers it happened. He knows all things, but it's just as if it never happened because you are forgiven and he does not remember that against you anymore. He knows that it happened. See, forgiveness gives you the liberty to acknowledge the pain that you've experienced. See, when you think of forgiveness, don't think of forgetting. Think of how much it hurt. God knows all things. We think that we ought to forget it and ignore the pain. Forgiveness gives you permission to be hurt and to be angry. In Genesis chapter uh, 50, the story of Joseph. I Go read that this week. If you want a healing story, read Genesis 50 or the whole portion of Joseph's life. He was abused by his brothers. He was assaulted. He was beat up. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. And he eventually found his way into prison, unjustly accused for something he didn't do. But ultimately God worked him into a place of significant authority and his brothers came asking for help. And when he saw them, years and years later, they didn't recognize him, but he saw them immediately when he saw them, The Bible says he got up and he ran out of the room and he began to weep and cry because of the pain and the hurt that after years and years and years and years and years, it still hurt him deeply. And if you read the story, he struggled with revenge because he wanted them to feel his pain, but ultimately he did forgive, but he still felt pain because forgiveness gives us the liberty to experience the hurt and to know that it can be forgiven and released and healed. See, forgiveness is not forgetting. Here's another thing you need to realize. If you think forgiveness is forgetting, you might think that you cannot forgive and the enemy is lying to you and he's got you right where you want. Realize this, forgiveness is not about removing consequences. Forgiveness does not mean consequences are released. It does not mean that you can even trust that person. It doesn't mean that things are ever going to go back to the way they were. Sometimes we think, well, if I forgive, that means I'm just allowing them back into my life. That means I can't forgive them because I can't trust them. Well, forgiveness doesn't mean trust. Forgiveness doesn't mean things will ever go back to the way they were before. We need to realize this that forgiveness is releasing is something. In 2 Samuel 12, 13 and 14, we saw this. We looked at this this, uh, this past summer. Is that David, man, he blew up big time with God. He committed adultery, he was responsible for the death of another of the of the of the woman's husband, and he he was he was deceptive, he was manipulative, he was a he was a abuser. But God convicted him, he fell to his knees, and God forgave him, however. God forgave him, but the consequences of his sin were with him for the rest of his life. He had to live out his consequences. He was forgiven, but the consequences remained. Things did not go back to the way they were before. He had to live with what he had done, though he was forgiven by God and by others. Forgiveness does not mean you're releasing someone to go back to that old relationship or to your relationship with you. Some of you, you've been hurt. It doesn't mean you'll be friends again. If you forgive them, it doesn't mean you're going to be hanging out together again. Here's another thing. Forgiveness is not about excusing the wrong. Some people think, well, if I just forgive, then that just means it means that it's okay that what they did. And what they did is so bad, I don't want to forgive them because I don't ever want to give that impression that it's ever okay to do anything at all ever like this. So we we, I, we don't want to give that liberty to forgive because it might give the impression that what they did is oh. Okay. In Genesis chapter 50, we find that Joseph's forgiveness was followed by guidelines and restrictions that ensure that it did not happen again. It does not mean that they're not guilty. It does not give permission to them to do it again. Forgiveness does not approve of it. It does just the opposite. It acknowledges the wrong done. Forgiveness does not make what happened less appalling. In fact, it acknowledges how appalling it was. Now, the second part of what biblical forgiveness is, and and this is what you can do. And number one, you need to realize that forgiveness is releasing it into the hands of God. Forgiveness is saying, this debt, this offense, this pain, this hurt, what has been done to me, I'm giving back. I'm going to give, a... God, it's yours. You have vertically reached down to me and I will vertically reach up to you. And because of that, I will, with this horizontal relationship, I will, around those who are in my life, in all the parameters of my life, my friends, my family, everyone that has ever hurt me in my life, I will release that into the hands of God. It's released into His hands. You don't need to pay me back. It's God's now. You see, an offense a sin is, is like a debt. That's why the Bible says, forgive those debtors. Forgive those who've, have a debt against you, who have made a debt against you as you will be forgiven of your debts. See, sin is always considered a debt in the Bible. It's considered a sense of theft or owing that when somebody steals, like if you were abused, maybe your innocence was stolen. Maybe when, when, your, when your spouse walked out on you, maybe your trust was stolen and now there's a debt. There's a negative in the account of your heart, of your emotions, of you physically. And there's this debt and somebody's going to have to pay for it. It's going to be probably the person who caused the pain. So they're going to have to pay it back. But you see, here's the thing. Even if they were to ever try to pay it back, you'll never get it back. You can, because that kind of debt can never be repaid. So you'll be angry with everyone and you'll never trust anyone and you'll always be insecure about who you are because that debt that that you want to get from that person or from the people around you can never pay back the pain and the suffering that you've gone through. The only way that that debt, that pain, that offense will ever be healed is if you release it into the hands of God, the only one who can pay that debt, the only one who has paid that debt, the only one who can release that debt. Let's go back to an example. Say you're walked out on by a spouse. They've robbed your trust. They've robbed you of years of your life. And they've, they've messed with your kids' minds. And now you're like, you feel so angry because you feel like they've robbed your kids of a family and of, of a life of, of grace. And inside of you, you're so angry against them. And it's coming between you and God. God says, once you just put it in my hands, I'll take care of the debt. I will give you back what was stolen from you, and I can get from them what is needed if they owe that debt to me. So forgiveness is just releasing it. It's not charging that pain that hurt against them anymore it's not looking for payback it's not looking for a way to get what is yours in fact jesus on the cross his last words where it is finished paid in full the debt has been met write this down forgiveness is a choice for in second Corinthians 2 6 and 8 it says choose to forgive those that hurt you instead of avenging them the word of God says you are to forgive. The Holy Spirit convicts you about who you are to forgive. And we must make a conscious decision on whether we are going to forgive or not. Some of you have unforgiveness in your heart and you've made a conscious decision to not forgive them. And in your heart today, right now, the Holy Spirit is convicting you saying you must forgive that person in your past, that person in your present, that person at work, that person in your family, that person might be one of your own children. You must Forgive, and it is a choice. Forgiveness is a decision of the will. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit tells us who we are to forgive. We are to respond. The offender may not desire forgiveness and may not change, but ideally they will. But even if they don't, you're still to forgive the wrong that has been done to you. See, here's the deal when it comes time to forgive those in that horizontal relationship that you have a hard time forgiving and you come to that crossing of the will of God, I don't think I can forgive them. The only, the only way you'll ever forgive the horizontal is by reconciling it with the cross. See, what happens at the cross is we are reminded that at that crossing of two wills, the cross wins. And it's your choice today. You're at the cross today. You're at the cross of Christ. He has said, Forgive. It is your choice. You see, forgiveness puts you at an intersection with people in your life, at an intersection of difficult choices, a crossing of two wills God's or mine, bitterness or forgiveness. Well, you say, well, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve forgiveness. Exactly. That's what the word grace means. It means undeserved favor. It means you're giving them something they don't deserve. And that's why his grace is so amazing because we don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. That person who hurt you doesn't deserve it. The cross is that amazing reminder of undeserved favor. You have been given favor and it's not deserved. You can't earn it. You can't make your way to, to God. But at the cross, that horizontal relationship met with the vertical relationship of Christ, we find healing. We find healing. We find grace. I write this down. Only God can give you the power to forgive the unforgivable. Everything you need to let go and to live, to forgive and to be free is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. To know his grace Is to give his grace. I want to end with these couple thoughts. But what about those people who keep on abusing? What about those people who keep on hurting? What about those people that keep on attacking? What I keep forgiving them and they keep doing the same thing. I keep forgiving them and they keep doing the same thing. How can I keep forgiving someone who keeps on hurting? Should I turn the cheek forever? Well, yes and no. The truth about our enemies is this, is that number one, payback is never the way back. Evil for evil is always a bad move. There is never a situation ever where you are to pay back those that have hurt you or revenge. Maybe there are times when you don't want to forgive and there are people when you severely want to pay back and, and you want you want to forgive them, but they're just so mean all the time. Some of you, let's go back to this example. Next spouse, you want to forgive them, but they're just so hateful all the time. You want to forgive that coworker, but they just every time you see him, it's another reason why you don't like him. I want to forgive that person, but every time I hear something about them, it just stirs up in me more anger against them. How can I keep turning the cheek? How? Look at this in Romans chapter 12. He says, Repay, Paul says, Repay no one. That's anyone. Anyone. Everybody say, anyone. Anyone. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That includes even the jerk. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And I love that verse 18. If possible, So far as it depends on you, that means do everything you can to release this person and forgive this person. Do your part and whether they do their part or not, we are still to be, do everything we can to live at peace with them. We are to do everything within our ability to give this over to Jesus and live at peace with them. Even if they keep messing up, blowing up, Tearing up, stirring up everything in our life and every if the trail behind them is destructive, we are to do everything we can to live at peace with them here 's a few tips on dealing with those that hurt us, and this is how I want to end. I want to pray for you today there 's a few tips on dealing with pain and dealing with those that hurt when wrong, number one, overlook it if you can when someone has hurt you, overlook it if you can, be the bigger person. In Proverbs 19, 11, it says, great verse, a good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory. It is his glory to overlook an offense. Let me put it this way. If, if, uh, if we were wrestling, you know, right? If a guy walked up to me and was like pushing my buttons and I was not living under the Holy Spirit that day or whatever you want to say, if I got the flesh, got the best of me. And I'm not, I've never, ever been a fighting person, ever. The last time I was in like a fight, fifth grade, Got a bloody nose. I don't even remember what happened to that kid because I, I just walked home crying. In my heart, I believe I beat him up. But I have no idea. All I remember is I'm walking home with a bloody nose. That was my last fight, and I hated it. So, But if someone were to, like, push my buttons, right, and, you know, they were as old as me, you know, we all say, guys, my own, take them out. Boom, right? Just take them out. But if a six-year-old came up to me and like decided like just out of the blue like kick me in the shin and and throw something at me, I'm like, come here, punk! Come here, you little punk! Pow! You know you're like <laughs> you would never punch out. Why? Because you're bigger than him. You're bigger than him, guys. Listen, God has called you to be bigger than them spiritually. Be bigger than them emotionally. The Bible says it is the glory of a person to. Basically move on to basically overlook it to be the bigger person if you can. Number two, if that doesn't work, well, then the Bible says point it out. You overlook it or you point it out. That means confront them. Luke 17, Jesus says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, point it out. And if they repent, forgive them. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and, re- and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. He says, keep on forgiving. And here's the point. Rebuke. Sometimes you need to point out what somebody has done. If someone's offensive to you, don't just get walked all over. Turning the other cheek doesn't mean that you don't address an issue. In fact, Jesus says, rebuke them. Point it out. Address the issue. Confront them. You confront them. Some of you, the reason you have unforgiveness in your heart is because you don't, have the boldness to confront the person who's hurt you so much. You know, So you just allow yourself to keep getting walked all over and you, you just keep getting angrier and angrier. Well, confront them. And if they repent, if they say, I'm sorry, forgive them. And if they don't say, I'm sorry, what's the Bible say? Forgive them. Here's the third thing. As you overlook it, you point it out or you get help with it. It's the third thing you do, you get help with it. Take it to another person who can help. In Matthew 18, we're going to look at this in the small groups this week on dealing with offense. Uh, The Bible says in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus gives this story. He says, um, if someone comes to you and they've hurt you, offended you, or sinned against you, then you need to go to them privately and, and point it out. If they hear you and they receive you, then you've just gained a deeper relationship with this person. If they don't hear it out and receive you, then you take a second person privately, two or more. Take two or three people. And he says, if they still don't receive you, then you take it to a whole nother level. You take another person and then you take it to the leaders in your church. He says, don't take it into your own hands. He says, sometimes you need to get help with it. Some of you, you need to have a meeting with that coworker and your boss. Some of you need to have a meeting with your spouse and an attorney. Some of you need to have a meeting with your husband, your wife, and your children. Some of you need to get a couple of friends together and need to talk to another friend about an issue in their life. Because if they've offended you, you can overlook it to a point, and then you need to confront it, and then you might need to get help with it. And here's the last thing, is you need to ultimately turn it over to God. Turn it over to God. Basically, there's a point in the Bible where it says you can say, God, sick them. God, it's yours. Look at this in Romans 12, verse 17. It says, Repay no one, that's anyone, for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. That includes the jerk. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We read that. Here's the next verse. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If they don't stop, you leave it to God to deal with. Ask God to them. Verse 20 says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, however, here's how you're to respond. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on your head. So you're like, that's exactly what I want. Ah, <laughs> oh, You know, you got, we got this image of heaping these burning coals onto somebody. You know, hot coals. You know? <laughs> Jesus said so. Oh. That's not what it means. It, said, it just said, feed them if they're hungry. Clothe them if they're, if they're, or or give them something to drink if they're thirsty. Heap coals on their head. What does that mean? Heaping coals on their head was a healing method. It was a, it was a sign of healing. It was, it was something you did to the sick. It was something of a restoration. He says, you know what? Do good heal them. Seek to, to bless them and to honor them and to find where they're hurting and to heal them. This is our response to the enemies. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And you're thinking, I just can't do that. Well, that's where the that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That's where the grace of God steps in. Because you're right, you can't do that on your own. But through the Holy Spirit, you can do that. And this is not a work on it. This is a requirement. This is a command from the Lord, forgive. Because he has reached out to us. We are to reach out to others. And at those places of conflict where we can't forgive, we must always return to the crossing of the cross. That point of the reality of our own need for forgiveness is found. So today, when it comes to receiving and giving, maybe you're here today and you need to give some forgiveness to somebody to somebody. Maybe you're here today and it's time for you to forgive those that hurt you in your childhood. Maybe it's time you forgive your parents. Maybe it's time you forgive your ex-husband or your ex-wife. You forgive that friend. You forgive your sister. It's time to forgive your brother. It's time to forgive your boss and to forgive that neighbor. And some of you, you need to receive forgiveness. And this is so, so big because some of you, you need to realize that in Christ, there is no condemnation. This is not in any, I'm not asking you to forgive yourself. I think that is one of the silliest things counselors have ever said. You just need to learn to forgive yourself. No, you don't need to learn to forgive yourself. You need to to understand and know that you are forgiven and humbly receive it. Some of you, it's time to humbly acknowledge your forgiveness and his mercy and his love. Forgiveness, the enemy loves it when we get this one wrong because it affects our relationship with God and it affects our relationship with others. But thank God that the cross clarifies his grace for us. Let's pray. God, thank you that you forgive us and you love us and you've set us free and you've given us a chance to to find the cross. Head bowed in nice clothes. If you're sitting here, you know, just be honest with yourself. Take a moment. Name that person you need to forgive. Name it. Name that person, that co worker, that friend, that family member, that ex family member. Name that person and go to the cross. It's his amazing grace. Maybe you're here and you need to acknowledge that he has forgiven you, that you're not far beyond the reach of him. There's nothing that you have done that he cannot forgive. There's no evil that you have done.
1: There's nothing that your
0: hands have done and your feet have taken you or your mouth has spoken or your mind has thought that he cannot forgive. For at the cross, there's grace and forgiveness, undeserved favor. Thank you, Lord, for that grace and that mercy. Just take a moment. Just take a moment right now and If you need to forgive someone, I want you to talk to Jesus about that person right now. And if you need forgiveness, I want you to talk to Jesus about your forgiveness and accept his grace in your life. Take a moment just to talk to him right now. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. God thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to walk in forgiveness. Be quick to forgive. Don't buy the lie.